All right, welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest. Um, I came across his art on Instagram and uh, on a couple of uh, Discord servers that I check regularly. And I was just really blown away by uh, your art. And uh, not only do you have amazing art, but you have your own podcast and you also offer some interesting looking courses. So I figured it'd be good to have you on today. As you're known, the uh, the little beast or the expanding beast, I think, is your nickname. <laughs> the, the average size beast. Oh yeah, the, the medium average. size. <laughs> yeah, the medium sized beast. But uh, yeah, can you introduce yourself and sort of how you got into um, esoteric and occult practice in general? Sure. I read my first Alistair Crowley book when I was 14 years old. I got it uh, probably. I was influenced to pick up a copy by getting into the band Tool and uh, through the symbolism in their music videos and hearsay that the band was into this kind of stuff. And I was just kind of really interested in it and fascinated by it. I think I've always had an interest in magic and the occult, even though Crowley was kind of probably my first exposure to, you know, quote unquote, real magic. But when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with fantasy books and that was kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the, the stimulus that got me at least curious about those kinds of phenomena. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was kind of my first exposure to it. And then I also got quite into Buddhism. Eventually that segued into me getting pretty heavily uh, into the experimentation and use with psychedelics, which is its own form of occultism and has a lot of ties to occultism and the esoteric as well mm -hmm. and uh shamanism of traditional cultures so it's my i've done the whole kind of uh tour of, of spiritual traditions and lineages and presently I, I find myself to kind of land back home where i started i've been really interested in the western mystery tradition and western occultism salima and things like that uh mm -hmm. but it's, I see it all as kind of an emanation of the same thing. It's just different vocabulary to describe this sort of quintessential human experience that we're having. And these mystical experiences being one of the, the core human experiences, really. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of funny because uh, Tool has definitely been a big gateway for a lot of people, including myself. Like, you know, just um, if you look at their art, like they had a lot of um, Alex Gray art and just sort of um, even in their lyrics or like in the um, like the album notes and everything that like the tree of life and all this sort of symbolism mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they sort of, um, what would you say? They sort of like interlay little like hints and stuff here and there, you know, for people to, to uh, kind of catch on to if they look into it a little deeper. Right. But uh, yeah, it's interesting how tool has really sort of um, kind of really opened the gateways for including for myself, as I mentioned. So yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually really blown away when I first saw uh, some of your uh, pieces because it's sort of like if, you, if you've ever been in a mystical or visionary space, it's like it's really trippy because I don't consider myself very <clears throat> artistic in the sense of like drawing pictures or in that way, definitely artistic in some other ways. But it really fascinates me when I see like an amazing, uh, you know, artwork that it's like I it, you can eat immediately recognize that like I've been there or that space is recognizable and I'm I'm really curious like what is your what's the process it's a pretty complicated question but what's the um can you kind of share a little bit about the process of like bringing these visions into you know an artistic space into reality well to start if you see my art and you think I've been there or that I'm capturing something that is recognizable that you've had from a mystical experience and that's a good thing that's what I'm trying to do mm -hmm. you know so that's it's good that that's how you feel when you look at my art I would um well the process that I generally it's like do you want to get at it from like a philosophical side or do you want to get at it from like a technical side on a technical level I often mm -hmm. have experiences they can come about through psychedelic experiences they can come about through rituals or ceremonies they can come about through dreams sometimes they come about more spontaneously or more organically uh and i try to capture that as quickly as possible 
in the mm. form of a little sketch or a little scribble. And then I will take that as a basis and I'll, I'll elaborate upon it. And my process is pretty lengthy nowadays. I, gen I generally spend quite a long time on my pieces and it's a uh, journey, each one. You know, they have their own journey and I, I give them time and space to really come to form and to mature and to develop on their own time you know um mm -hmm. i guess philosophically i am somebody who is primed for astral type experiences and i always have been so that's a natural talent or inclination that i have and i understand that that's something that is distinct from a lot of people and i have a lot of training in regards to artistic technique and mm -hmm. i see those both, both as a kind of responsibility that I carry because those are both rare talents. And so I attempt to unify them. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, I know uh, you teach some courses I saw on your website. And so I, I would imagine probably you go into further detail there for, you know, people who are interested. Um, do you think that, like you mentioned, you're talking about the technical side as well as the visionary side, right? Do you think that like, I think a lot of people consider themselves sort of a visionary type, but they don't really think that they have artistic talent. Do you think everyone has sort of at least some ability if they cultivate it to, you know, they might, they might not make amazing pieces like you, but do you think everyone has at least some sort of innate talent that they can cultivate if they want to, you know, get into art? I do. Yeah, definitely. I think that the visionary quality and the technical ability to translate those visions is kind of like the right and left hand. You need both to be really balanced. I've met plenty of artists who are very gifted on the technical level, but they don't have the visionary capacity. And I've met many people on the other side of the fence. So it's kind of an unbalanced position to be in if you're leaning too far to one side or the other. I, I think that drawing or painting is just like any sort of language. We just have a culture that doesn't really value it, but just like everybody goes through preliminary training in English or whatever language they might grow up in in their culture uh, or mathematics, it's the same thing. Anybody can learn how to draw. There's a formula to it. It's not it's not mystical, it's very mm -hmm. practical in regards to how to learn how to draw. And it's something that absolutely anybody can do if they devote themselves to learning it, much like probably anybody if they really wanted to could learn to speak Russian or Chinese or something like mm -hmm. that. It would just take time and there's a learning curve for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are certainly some people that have more natural abilities or proclivities towards it. I've always kind of gravitated towards the art and drawing and painting and it has always kind of made sense to me and you know, even now of course still feels very natural. It's not something that I need to think about too hard while I'm doing it. It just seems like something that I can do and kind of have always been able to do. And I do think that there are some people that are more geared that way just like there's some people that are more geared towards mathematics than i might be and it's just the way their brain works so yeah there's definitely people that are kind of more naturally talented in that regard but i definitely think that with the right stimulus it's something that any person could learn oh, okay interesting yeah like uh sometimes when i have these sort of visionary or mystical or psychedelic experiences it almost feels like it's beyond art or beyond words or something, but it's always amazing when you see an artist or perhaps a band with their music or even a writer who very much so uses, like you're saying, the technical side of either writing or art or music, right? To translate mm -hmm. that into something that is immediately recognizable or at least even can help you to see things in a different light or from a different angle that always, uh, Kind of those two sides together, as you're mentioning, right? Like the 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 astral or the spiritual and the technical together, come right? Together very beautiful. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Cause and that's it, the... yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it could be kind of. You could be lazy, like, oh, I had this. Uh, as you mentioned, maybe you have a, a visionary experience, and you you mentioned how you immediately would like sketch, um, you know, a portion of it or 
you know, that way you don't forget it. Right. But uh, yeah, it, it takes that that work too, right? Like putting in the work instead of just saying, oh, it's beyond my ability to paint it or something, right? Well, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. the for sure. Yeah, I mean, it takes a, a lot of action and it takes a lot of effort to create works of art, especially the more complex and the more ambitious the work of art is, the longer it takes, the more effort it takes to create it. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, you don't make lazy masterpieces, as Salvador Dali said. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good. But one. you're, you know, you were talking about like having like uh, mystical psychedelic experiences. Like you're probably naturally primed to have those experiences. And I've met mm -hmm. people who, believe it or not, they take psychedelics and it's like nothing. You know, mm -hmm. like nothing spiritual, <laughs> nothing mystical at all. Like it's almost as if they just they don't have their third eye isn't open at all, you know? So it does take mm. some preconditioning. And also, I think that what you described previously, that's really the formula is you take somebody who is already uh, fluent in whatever their craft is, and then the psychedelic or the mystical experience, it doesn't have to be through psychedelics, can mm. provide that door into higher inspiration so you get people like Aldous Huxley I mean he was already a great writer before he took psychedelics and the psychedelics just took him farther you know even I, I think even Terence McKenna was already a very gifted speaker and linguist before he got into the use as heavily as he did uh, into psychedelics or you know you don't you don't become Jimi Hendrix just by taking acid you know Jimi <laughs> Hendrix had already right. play guitar really well before taking acid and that just kind of it helped him tune into something even higher oh for sure for sure um i'm curious like uh so we're talking a bit about the psychedelic experience but what like sort of spiritual practices do you have you done in the past i suppose and then perhaps do you have like a regular daily practice or anything along those lines that uh you do regularly and then do you feel like having that you know because we mentioned how psychedelics can really tune you in and everything but do you feel like having a daily practice or um uh doing some you know it could be meditation or magic or things along these lines do you feel like that also helps you in your art um and if so how how do you think so oh yeah definitely i think of having certainly a magic practice is basically the ability to alter your consciousness at will mm -hmm. and that is a very useful skill to learn as an artist so i'm more nowadays leaning towards the thelemic side of things i guess i could consider myself a thelemite and am involved in thelemic orders and things like that and mm -hmm. ceremonial magic has kind of taken a very big role in my life as well as sort of, I guess you could say, classical, hermetic, Western occultism, uh, and that kind of vein of the Western esoteric tradition has been becoming a stronger and stronger influence on my life and practice. So every day I do various practices uh, related to that, like different uh, rituals, and I do have a meditation practice as well. And occasionally I perform more complex rituals for different purposes and uh, astral projection is one of those things that I explore as well as invocation and mm -hmm. those two things are both really excellent tools for gaining artistic inspiration because like I said before it allows you to basically tap into altered state experiences at will without necessarily needing to take something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, what do you think it was that because uh, you kind of mentioned earlier uh that you explored Buddhism and uh, other practices. Was there anything specific do you think that drew you to Thelema or Thelemic practices? Or was it just kind of like it just naturally ended up resonating with you and you kind of followed that um, doorway, I guess you would say, or path? Well, Buddhism is subsumed by the Thelemic system. So, mm -hmm. so Buddhism is an aspect of Thelema and, and influenced it as well as Buddhist practices like mm -hmm. meditation and uh, pranayama and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think that I explored the Eastern path and I still have tremendous respect for it. And I think that it's 
beautiful and I, I still resonate with it very deeply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I live in Bali, so I'm surrounded <laughs> by Eastern spirituality here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I appreciate about Selena and the Western esoteric tradition and magic is that it contends with the material universe. Whereas the goal of Buddhism is to release all attachment from from the world. It's not mm-hmm. trying to get involved with the world. Whereas mm-hmm. magic sees the world not as a problem, but like as a game to play. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right. And, mm-hmm. and it also by virtue of being even the most devoted Thelemites are still in the world. You know, it's a householder's tradition, if you want to call it that. Whereas to really be a Buddhist, I believe you kind of need to go the monk route Mm. and just completely renounce the world. So I guess that it's this interesting combination of attempting to seek enlightenment, but still attempting to play with and reconcile and balance the forces of golden existence that appeals to me about Salima. And it's also like playing with nuclear power. I think that that Salima really taps into kind of like the strongest current that I've at least encountered in a spiritual tradition that reminds me of like strong acid trips or very powerful, <laughs> you know, and it, it reminds me of that. Whereas there's something a little bit more I guess you could say gentle about Buddhism, but the perspective of Buddhism and other Eastern paths is that you have many, many lifetimes to achieve enlightenment, mm-hmm. where uh, I kind of feel like there's a energy behind Salima that, that's kind of just, you know, falls to the wall, like, let's do this, let's, let's go for enlightenment in one light, lifetime, let's just completely blow the lid off this thing. Right, right. And as you mentioned, it does um, incorporate a lot of the other tools. And I I guess you would call it spiritual technology, like it does incorporate like pranayama, kundalini, yoga. And, you know, if you read like Crowley's writings, I mean, it's like the fundamentals are pranayama and dharana, you know, he goes through the um, sort of the Raja yoga system, the yoga sutras. Mm -hmm. And it's very um, holistic, but at the same time, it has all these different sort of streams you can go off, you know, there's different, um, you know, you can go into like the Eastern practices, there's the, um, I mean, there's so many, there's the grimoire kind of stuff, Enochian stuff, and right. it's sort of like yeah. this endless, you know, I mean, it's sort of, it's, well, a, it's like a tributary that sort of, you know, just goes off in all these different directions, but it still has a kind of a central focus at the same time. Right, I mean, that was Crowley's intention was to create what was called scientific illuminism where Mm -hmm. where the intention is to basically look at all the different practices from all the different world traditions Mm -hmm. that he had access to up until that point he spent a lot of time in india and he spent time in uh china and different places learning about buddhism and hinduism and yoga and Taoism and all these different things Mm -hmm. and the idea was to say, okay, this works and this works and this works and this works. What happens if we kind of put them all together and we just kind of fire on all cylinders and we use all the different tools that are given to us from all the different world cultures, you know? Mm-hmm. And an- another thing I'll say is like, I, I like the aesthetic of Salima and I like the kind of uh, the mystery uh, of it and, and it has a sort of uh, forbidden quality to it and, you know, cool graphic design on the covers of the books and interesting Egyptian prose. And I guess I also like it just as an artist. It it inspires me. I resonate with it, with its atmosphere and things like that. Oh, for sure. Cool geometries and different uh, diagrams and stuff you see in a lot of the old texts are, you know, awesome for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I noticed that you live in Bali and I spent a month there. This is like, uh, I think it was in 2019 before COVID. And, uh, I think you mentioned on a podcast, you've been there for a few years, right? I came here the first time five years ago and I've, oh. I lived, I lived here for six months, five years ago. And then now I've 
been here solidly for about three years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I would like to hear your perspective because, you know, I've traveled pretty extensively as well, but there are certain places you go where you feel like a spiritual current. You feel like it's a special place, right? Like there's a special energy there. I mean, everywhere can be a place like that inherently if you make it, but um, there's definitely something unique about that place. So I'm kind of curious if you can share, you know, why Bali is sort of special to you, what resonated uh, with you there and sort of like any spiritual currents and things along those lines that you came into contact with there. Well, definitely. I mean, the Balinese spiritual culture is profound and uh, very unique and they're very dedicated to it. And it's very magical. Mm. They do practice magic here. They have their own forms of magic, but the religion that dominates the island is of its own accord magical. They do a lot of uh, spiritual evocation and they do a lot of spiritual banishment and this mm -hmm. is something that they do every day they're an animistic culture and they're very engaged with the spirits of their ancestors and uh, of the the kind of hindu pantheon that that is infused into their worldviews mm -hmm. and uh they're they're genuinely spiritual and i think a big thing too is that they practice what they preach you know they're incredibly loving and generous and gentle and kind people mm. and uh and and it whatever they're doing it's working you know like <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of people it's hard to say that about a lot of kind of religions but whatever they're doing it, it has a very positive effect on the people and how they live their lives and their communities and their families and their level of the relationship with the earth and the relationship with the spirit world mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone there is so, I don't know what you'd say, they're just so kind, right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I have just really good experiences with the people there. And it is cool, like, you'll be walking through an area or driving, you know, motorcycle through somewhere, and you'll see, like, the ceremony taking place, you know, sort of ancient uh, looking ceremony. And they have those, um, I don't remember the name of it, but they have these, like, huge doll things. You know what I'm talking about? You know, those mm -hmm. like, big... Uh, they're like these big figures and I don't know, you, it just looks really interesting. I don't really know. I was only there a month. So I didn't really have a chance to explore it that much, but um, yeah, like you said, whatever they're doing, it's uh, not only, it seems like they're, they're keeping this tradition alive, but it really does translate into how they behave and how they live. And just seems sort of like, I guess from a Western perspective, it can kind of seem like we compartmentalize a lot of things, right? Like there's the spiritual life right. and then the, mundane life but there it's sort of it definitely like streams all together for sure um totally what area, what area in bali are you in i live in ubud uh -huh. so it's kind of the spiritual tourism epicenter of bali in a <laughs> right. lot of ways right i wish but I currently given there. circumstances there's not really any uh any tourists so much here just expats uh -huh. that live here Right, right, right. When I was there, it was definitely a lot of tourists, but there were a lot of like digital nomads. And I was in um, Chenggu. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like all expats over there, you know, like tons of them. Yes. Uh, I know, mean, I spend, all, I spend a good amount of time down there too. I kind mm -hmm. of, uh, in some ways, split my time between the two places. And yeah, Chenggu is a lot more, it, it, you don't even really necessarily feel like you're in Bali. I like living mm -hmm. in Ubud because you still get a bit of the Bali flavor but then there's also businesses and restaurants and cafes that cater to expats but i love i've traveled pretty extensively around the island and i love going to places that are not highly touristic you know and really getting a feel for uh the local culture and that was kind of that's been less touched by tourism oh for sure like most uh, foreigners, they spend, um, they either live in like Chenggu and these other areas like that. But I did explore a little bit more of the island. And there's certain areas where you don't see any tourists or like foreigners or anything along those lines. And th those are the more interesting places to me as well. You know, it's just not. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, there's a lot. It's a big island, too. And most people, they only really seem to spend. You know, it's like a deep island. Like, I think most people only ever tap into one mm percent -hmm. of it. You know, <laughs> so. Um, for I, sure. Yeah, I wish I spent more time in Ubud, though, because there's some cool stuff. Uh, I had a friend 
that uh, still lives out there, and he really likes a place called the Pyramids of Chi. Have you heard of this or been there before? Sure. I live right around the corner from it, so I'm well aware of it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to go there, but he was a big fan of that place. It looked pretty cool. I mean, the concept, I watched a video about it. It looked pretty cool, but I didn't get a chance to experience it. But yeah, there are a lot of just different, um, like you said, different spiritual currents. And uh, it's interesting, Ubud, it's like you have like yoga studios everywhere and like these Russian hippies and stuff. You know, It's kind of funny before. I oh, my God. Yeah. The Bali, like the concept of a Russian hippie never really like i never thought about it i mean i'm sure they existed but then you go to bali and it's like all these russians there doing yoga and meditating and it's like wow this so is many weird. russian hippies yeah. yeah yeah i mean my girlfriend's ukrainian so i've thought about like if i were to learn and i would almost learn russian before i would learn bahasa which is the indonesian language just because there are so <laughs> many russian people here Right, right, exactly. I ended up uh, dating a Russian girl there too. <laughs> sort of like those are the people you come into contact with the most. I guess that's just what you do in Bali, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do some yoga, you date a Russian girl, or just, you know. So. Yeah, work on your laptop at a cafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like when it comes to the spiritual currents that are here, I don't look to the expats for those spiritual currents. I mean, most mm -hmm. people here are kind of seekers but i wouldn't really say that there are many people here that are more or less real like legitimate lineage holders or real mm -hmm. spiritual current it's mm -hmm. more the locals that i'm inspired by as well as i was really impressed when i first came here by the local artistry they're some of the best artists in the world and it is just so mythical here it's so uh, epic you know there's not a lot yeah. of places that at least i've been to in the world like it where everywhere you go there are these epic stone carvings and you know it, it's like out of a dream or something mm -hmm. oh for sure for sure yeah bali is kind of one of those places um i feel like i mean to be honest before i went there i sort of wrote it off in my mind like ah, oh, that's probably just some tourist trap or you know i think i mm -hmm. almost envisioned it like being kind of corny or like you know sort of like um it's kind of like hawaii like you have waikiki like the really tourist spot but there's so many like you can go to maui sure. you can go to the rainforest and maui and hana and you know there's so much to explore mm -hmm. in hawaii and bali's definitely similar with that like it's one of those places i feel like everyone should go at least once and check it out you know but um yeah definitely yeah yeah i noticed that you are a tattooist i'm not sure if you're still doing that but i did hear you mention um you're interested in like some kind of unique projects sort of like ritual tattoos do you have anything uh you can share about that well yeah i'm i haven't been tattooing lately mm -hmm. and part of that is just due to divergent interests and part of that is due to circumstance but i was doing ritual tattooing mm. and i was doing it here at first with a couple friends that would help to hold the ritual with me and it was pretty powerful we weren't really using any specific rituals of any kind of culture but the idea was just to create a sacred intentional container for the tattoo that was a transformational experience and i try to when i get tattooed to put that same amount of intention into it because i do think that it can be something profound and that can have a magical effect on your life if you charge it with intention if, and if you go into it with intention that's not how most people in western culture see tattooing now but the history of tattooing is filled with people tattooing in that way and actually for most of human history that's what tattooing was it was always used to mark initiations and rites of passage and it was it was it had an initiatory purpose and it was also used for magic and still in many places in the world is used for magic most people of you know thailand are into these like talismanic tattoos that they do in thailand the sakyant tattoos which is like buddhist magic mm -hmm. and um even here in indonesia there's the mentawai tribe that embraces tattooing in the same way so for me this is important i'm an artist so i want it to look good 
-hmm. but I want the intention to be the deeper aspect of it and the more important aspect of it. You know, it's not as much about what it looks like, although that is important. It's more about what you're putting into it and the reason why you're getting it. Mm, okay. So, yeah, that's a good explanation. It's almost like you charge them like sigils, right? Like it's um mm -hmm. it's sort of i guess i guess as you're explaining it's kind of like that's what tattoos originally were and it's sort of like bringing back that you know because from like a western perspective you think about you don't really most people i don't think necessarily think about um tattoos as sort of like a spiritual charge with spiritual intent or having this sort of shamanistic um origin or meaning behind them right but i think uh it is cool that you're like bringing that back out to you know, what you're saying is probably normal for a lot of traditional cultures, but like for people from the West, it's probably their first, a lot of people first time even hearing that perspective on tattoos, right? So. Well, that's the thing. I mean, yes, that is the traditional view of tattooing. And like I said, that has been the view of tattooing for most of human history. And it's only in relatively recent history that the intentions of tattooing have changed, you know, and that exists even within Western culture. There were, uh, you know, certain certain cultures like Celtic cultures have a sacred history of tattooing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think in a, it, I mean it's definitely true of sh shamanistic and indigenous cultures, but I think it's true of Western cultures as well. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um... All right. Yeah. So I browsed your website and you have like these really cool um, looking courses. And I noticed a lot of them were obviously about like art, which is your specialty and creativity. And so for people who want to improve their creativity um, or like their artwork in general, what sort of tips would you give them? I'm sure you offer a lot more in your courses and I'm sure you go over that in quite detail there. But, you know, maybe for somebody who's sort of interested, what kind of advice or tips would you give them? Hmm. Well, you know, it is very personal and very unique to each person. And anybody that subscribes for the Unleash Your Inner Artist course on my website, which is geared towards helping people activate their creativity, we do weekly sessions mm -hmm. as a group. And it's a, a fairly small group right now. So there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. And we go oh, into cool. the specific goals and aspirations that each person has and try to strategize how to reach them. Uh, really, the biggest thing that hinders most people when it comes to working on any kind of art form, whether it's drawing or painting or music or playing an instrument or writing poetry, is really just doing it. Mm. You know, there's, there could be a lot of fear about that. Most of that fear comes out of uh, trauma, you know, like mm. out of being told that they weren't a good artist and feeling ashamed when when they try to do it and it doesn't match up to their standards. So to understand that that's a natural process, that there is a process in developing your creativity and it takes time and it takes dedication. And some of the exercises that I provide in the courses get people creating on a daily basis right off the bat. And if you cultivate it like a practice, something that you do every single day and you cultivate discipline around it, eventually it just becomes something that you do and there's going to be times where you like what you create and there's going to be times where you don't and that's just part of the process so it's really about learning to be okay with that mm -hmm. rather than to freak out anytime you create something that isn't up to your standards because in some cases even for me now I create something that I don't like turns out other people love it so <laughs> it you know it's it's just the fight with our inner critic is what it is mm. yeah it's interesting so a lot of it it kind of sounds like it's almost like you versus yourself in some ways right like overcoming your own creative blocks or um as you mentioned fears or judgment so even the process of art and creativity itself is almost inherently spiritual in a way too right like it's the sort of inner alchemy of absolutely finding your true inner artist your true will so to speak right those two things and also the concept of the true will are so interlinked with creativity. Mm. For example, with the Unleash Your Inner Artist course, the exercises that are done in that course are a lot of journaling exercises and it's primarily geared towards 
people discovering kind of who they who they were when they were a kid, like who they are truly, mm. and kind of like what really turns them on, like what makes them feel inspired and motivated, and uh, just like lit up, like what makes you happy. A lot of people are really out of touch with that. And so discovering that stuff and getting in touch with it is really the same as getting in touch with your true will. And in my opinion, you know, there are different facets of the same pursuit, which is to become fully aligned with the most, with the truest version of ourselves. Mm. Uh, and that's the place when, when you are in, I believe that creativity is a natural occurrence for hum, human beings that when you're when you are in alignment with yourself and your natural essence, human beings are naturally creative and it's not something that you need to force. And so people who are not creative, everybody is creative, but people that are not actively creative, it really comes out of the sort of imbalance or from being out of harmony with their true self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, from my own observation, it's like, um, sort of creating something, working on something, growing on certain things and uh, creating or expressing, it could be art, it could be music, it could be um, writing, it could be a podcast, it could be anything, but it's sort of, you feel when you're not creating or when you're not expressing your own inner um, visions or feelings or what have you, you, I feel like it's a lot harder to be content, you know, like when, when you're actually putting something mm -hmm. out there and putting yourself out there and um, going through the process that you talked about and uh, creating something to the world, right? Sort of projecting it out into the mm -hmm. world. I feel like um, that, I feel like without that, it's sort of, it almost feels like you're just, uh, for me, this is my perspective. It's, uh, it almost feels like you're just sort of coasting by or you're sort of, it's almost like you're sucking in content, you know, it's like, I'm going to listen to this podcast and check out this thing. And, and there's a time for that as well, but it almost feels like sort of empty if you're not contributing, mm. right? It's like being at a party and you just eat all the food and drink all the stuff and you never brought anything to the table. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. It's like an in-breath without the out-breath. I think they're both important. Mm -hmm. And uh, just something to add is that it doesn't even have to be something that you share with the world. I feel like mm -hmm. if you want to write poetry for yourself or if you want to draw for yourself, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, you know. And, mm -hmm. and there doesn't need to be so much pressure around it, you know. It, you don't, and not, it's not every person's destiny or calling to necessarily become a master at their chosen craft. And mm -hmm it's okay to just write poetry because it feels good and it's mm -hmm. okay to just sing because it feels good or to draw because it feels good and to explore that because it's something that you enjoy doing and, and because it's challenging and it helps you grow and it's developing new parts of yourself. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely uh, resonate with that. Um, are there any new areas of like art that you're exploring? So you, we mentioned like, um, you know, you do your paintings and tattoos and stuff. Are there any new styles or any new like uh, like uh, things that you're working on, or is it sort of more like you're really honing in on what you're currently doing? I've be I've begun to create and release NFTs, and NFTs are crypto art. It's it's the ability to sell digital art or mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies, and it's quite a big evolution in the current of art in general right now so i have just begun starting to work with that and i'm also working with virtual reality mm -hmm. and creating art in vr um, and, and doing immersive digital art and things like that as well as painting you know and i have all my other creative projects too like podcasting and mm -hmm. uh, writing and things like that so oh and music you know i'm always kind of doing something <laughs> yeah keep yourself busy um yeah the yeah. thing sounds uh really interesting and uh i uh, i've actually checked out your podcast it's really good um i've heard uh, you did one with uh mitch horowitz that was uh i did yeah yeah that one was really good i mean i've heard him on a lot of other podcasts and like other shows and whatnot but i think that was for anybody who's um you just wants to hear a good podcast or maybe they know mitch horowitz already read his books or uh 
what have you like listen to that one because that's a damn good podcast you got him to really open up i think the questions you asked were really good and you got him to sort of um i don't know i think you got him to open up a lot and share a lot oh, of thanks. things that maybe opinions or experiences that i don't think other um podcasts he didn't really you know go that deep i guess you would say so yeah that was maybe great. it's because i maybe it's just because i've been really familiar with his work already or something mm-hmm. like that and so i could sort of you know i know what he's what he's good at you know what i mean like i know what he's an expert at and wanted to talk to him about mm-hmm. uh, those those things but i just think mm-hmm. it's like one of those things with podcasting and i mean you probably know this too it's about making the other person feel really comfortable uh and and at ease and so that they can open up like you know that's one thing that Joe Rogan is just excellent at is just he can get anybody to talk to him uh, you know no matter how awkward that person might be and you know Mitch is an amazing speaker also and has a lot of experience doing that and so it was really cool to interview him I, I love his books and everything he does so that was great oh for sure for sure yeah you have some really cool guests on your podcast which is called uh the quarantine sessions is that right that's correct. Yeah, that was that was the situational title, and now I'm just stuck with it. So <laughs> I don't know if you can change a podcast name, like, I, but that's the title for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find on like YouTube, and um, I'm pretty pretty sure all the uh, traditional platforms, right, like Apple and um, iTunes and things like that. It's it's on everything. Yeah, it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. Pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go back to what you're saying, the VR uh, stuff, the VR art, I think it was on your YouTube channel where um, I think you have like the LBRP and you performed it. Yeah. Like a VR. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what's the deal? Uh, How did you do that? That was really interesting. Like, what did you use? And because I think that something like that, like that video could be really, really useful for people who I feel like maybe they read about a ritual in a book. And they don't really, uh, you know, because you, you can read in a book and maybe misunderstand it or have trouble visualizing how to perform it. But then if you see the video that you made um, using VR, it's sort of like, oh, now it kind of clicks, right? Like it can sort of um, yeah, put a piece of the puzzle together, I feel like, for a lot of people. So like... Uh, right. That was the intention uh, behind it, you uh, know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. What's the... Um, that was done in a program called Tilt Brush. It's a, it's like made by Google and it's a really fun creativity app for VR that allows you to draw in a 3D space. And there's all these cool light brushes that, that do all kinds of different effects. And yeah, that was just, it was the idea. I mean, when you're in VR, you're in a universe of your own creation, which is what you access when you're doing a magic ritual like the LBRP anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like what is going on in your mind when you perform a ritual like the LBRP, you can actually externalize in a tangible way with VR. So like the minute I tried that app, I, I had the idea to try rituals in it. And I haven't done any quote unquote serious ritual in it. But I do think that it could be used for certain forms of magic, like to draw sigils and to meditate on sigils within VR and stuff like that. Um, there's also, I don't have access to it because you need Steam VR to do it. Mm-hmm. But there was somebody that created a, a Golden Dawn Temple VR experience. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do the neophyte initiation ritual of the Golden Dawn in VR using this app, which is pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty epic. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, it's pretty epic. Really, you know, depending, like, say you, you live in Bali and it's like, there, I don't, I doubt <laughs> there's a Golden Dawn temple. Or there's no temple. Golden <laughs> Dawn temple in Bali. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm hearing Korea and everything, too, and obviously here as well. Um, so I think personally, I think that a lot of people see these things as like opposed to each other, like spirituality and magic and technology. But I think that there's a way to blend them together where they sort of help each other, you know, sort of like, like I was mentioning in your video, 
I mean, if somebody is having trouble visualizing, um, uh, you know, doing like, like drawing the pentagrams or what have you, that video can like instantly make things click, I feel like for a lot of people. And um, I do see the downside of like being dependent on it. You know, it's like, because I mean, the whole point of a lot of these rituals is developing your psychic muscles, so to speak, right? Like your intuition. Um, yeah, like every, yeah. every time you perform a ritual like that mm -hmm. and you're using visualization, you're strengthening your light body, your astral body. So if you're mm -hmm. using VR as a crutch to do it, mm -hmm. you're, you're not developing those essential faculties of visualization. So oh. yeah, it's, it's more of like an educational tool. I wouldn't ever see it being able to replace it necessarily but like if i could get that app which i can't unfortunately because i have a different vr device i would mm -hmm. love to do the neophyte ritual for the golden dawn in mm -hmm. vr you know and i think that especially with the way things are going with increased isolation and social distancing and traditional traditional order structures kind of falling by the wayside and there being less accessibility in that regard, mm -hmm. VR might be one of the tools that allows people to still have initiatory experiences and still participate in mystery schools and traditions in the future. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think that, uh, yeah, definitely. I think that they can actually be an aid, like you said, you know, relying on them to, you know, you still have to develop your psychic muscles and you still have to develop the skills and um, controlling energy and, you know, using your intention. But at the same time, like you said, very educational and they can be very, um, I, I don't think they're like evil. Cause I think a lot of people see it like sort of in a negative light, right? Like we mentioned, like you can be dependent on mm -hmm. technology and stuff like that for sure, but you, they can also be used as tools, right? Something that we can actually use to, um, like you said, even experience a ritual that you can't even experience because you're in Bali, right? Like a ceremony or a group, mm -hmm. uh, group setting. So yeah, I think it's really cool. And uh, you should definitely put out some more stuff. I mean, that first, um, I don't know if you have any more. I think I only saw that LBRP one. Yeah, maybe but, um, that's the only one I, I made. Maybe I'll make some more ritual videos in the same way. Like maybe I'll do the lesser hexagram ritual or something and in the same way so people can see it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Are there any new like courses or um, artwork you have coming out or any kind of um, things you want to discuss that people can check out or even current stuff that maybe you want to discuss or plug? Well, I just released that tarot card that I've mm -hmm. been working on. I created the lover's card and I'm working on a series of the 22 major arcana, which is a long project. Mm -hmm. And uh, so stay tuned for that. You can check out the first one I've already done. I would try to stay uh, posted on my NFT releases if that's something that intrigues you. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty exciting field and uh, mm -hmm. new podcast every week. I have some really good ones coming up. I mean, that's pretty much it. And I really would love for you to join uh, for whoever is listening, my mm -hmm. art community that I'm building in my online academy. And if you're inspired to really activate your creativity and to take the plunge into learning art, uh, I would love to help guide you with that. Oh, for sure. Sounds really cool too. You mentioned that um, the class, it's kind of like an ongoing thing, right? Like with day, uh, weekly feedback and th things along yeah. those lines, right? That's cool. Cause I think there are a we, lot of- We meet every week. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like how you explain it, sort of you really tailor it to the individual and bringing out their own unique characteristics. Because there's a lot of courses out there where it's like, you just download a video and that's it. And it seems sort of cookie cutter. But the way you're describing it, it sounds very dynamic. And um, yeah, you have these weekly ongoing, sort of like a mentorship, even in a way, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like group coaching or group mentorship. I also work mm -hmm. with people individually. And so if anybody wanted to kind of dive even deeper, especially into the more technical aspects of drawing and painting, mm -hmm. then I also work with individuals. And I've worked with people who are not just visual artists. I've worked with blossoming DJs and I've worked with all kinds of creative types who are, you know, who have been intending to 
blossom into their creativity and have had great success with it. And I really love doing it. And so I'd love to do it even more coming into the future. That's awesome. You get to see your uh, children grow up, huh? <laughs> you start, yeah. You start those, uh, stick figures and pretty soon, <laughs> pretty soon they have these amazing... Unless they start getting more DJ gigs in Bali than I do. And then, like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. Um, what's your website? Like, how can people find you? What's your website or how can... What's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Maybe your Instagram or anything like that? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, and I'm Cobrin on Instagram, and uh, I'm on Twitter, and you can send me an email, and uh, those are pretty much the ways to find me. I The best place, the best kind of website that is everything is jakecobrinportal.com. That's like a landing page that has links to all the different things that I do, and my podcast, The Quarantine Sessions, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and whatever the other podcast platforms are all right cool yeah i'll include all those links um in the show notes and so yeah thanks a lot for coming on it was really a pleasure to talk with you and i feel like i really learned a lot um just about the process of art in general and i hope that people who really want to develop their inner artists and they feel kind of called to this i think that you know you're providing the perfect platform for these people and um, also with the, you're pushing the edges with the NFT art too. It sounds really cool. So yeah, really. Thanks. And the first, the first NFT I sold was a crypto sigil and I'd like to do more <laughs> magical kind of, uh, more, more crypto sigils and things like that so in the future. That. And yeah, man, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's my pleasure to come on here and chat with you. Oh, that's hilarious. So hold on one second. The first, uh, NFT you sold was actually, the actual artwork was a sigil, a crypto sigil. It's a crypto sigil. So <laughs> That's I use, <laughs> I use, uh -huh. uh, I use blockchain cryptography to create like a random stream of numbers and created a sigil using that as well as other sigil techniques. And it's a sigil for prosperity and cryptocurrencies. And so that was the first NFT that I sold was a crypto sigil for increasing abundance and and prosperity per cryptocurrencies and i hope whoever bought it that it it does serve them that way oh, that's it was fun to make also yeah that's yeah amazing. it's almost like meta you know like <laughs> you know use the you, you sell the actual crypto sigil and you're working in the crypto platform you know it's very uh i think it's pretty trippy it's really cool to hear that so yeah yeah for yeah sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, I've actually got to head out here, but uh, y'all have this up later today and until next time. Awesome, thanks.